We're going through a series in Genesis. And we've had the chance to kind of go back to the beginning and look at things anew, kind of with fresh eyesight and a new way of uh, processing all that's going on in this world, all that's happening around us. We started our series focusing on the who of creation. Namely, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the subject of all things. We are the object of his love and his power, but God is the subject. He is the creator, and we are the creation. We then began talking about the what of creation. What did God create? And we began with day one. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And the very first thing that God created was really the essence of who he is. God is light, and so he gives to us the gift of light because light is the basis of life. Last week, we looked at day six of creation, and we saw the most stunning thing that God did, and that is that he created us, humans, all humans, in the image of God, that God made us in his image and likeness. That gives us the ability to have dominion. It allows us to be in relationship, and most powerfully of all, it enables us to have Jesus become one of us, human. And for God's spirit, the very spirit of the living God, to dwell in each person who believes Jesus as Lord. Today, we come to the seventh day of creation. Day seven, and we see something created on this day that many of us, unfortunately, are missing the blessing of. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, it's the first book in the Bible. It's page two in the church Bibles. Genesis chapter two, and we're going to look at the seventh day of creation. Genesis two, I'm gonna read verses one to three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Now, it might sound at first glance by reading these verses that God doesn't create anything on the seventh day, that that's the point of the verses, is to say that God did all the creating stuff in, verse, in days one, two, three, four, five, and six, and on day seven, God doesn't create anything. Now, of course, on one hand, that's true. But from another perspective, there is something created on day seven, Do you see this word in verse two, this verb rested? And do you see in verse three, it shows up again, rested? This is the Hebrew verb, Shabbat, which has a parallel Hebrew noun, Shabbat, which is transliterated into English as 
Sabbath. And so in many ways, what we can say is, is on the seventh day, God creates something. And what he creates is rest. That rest is what is created on this seventh day. That God chooses to rest on day seven. And by doing so, he introduces rest into creation. So we can say, on day seven, God creates rest. Now to understand what this means and why this is so important, not just for sort of a theology of understanding Genesis, but for you and I today in our daily lives, we need to compare what happens on day seven to what happened on the previous six days in two different ways. First, the most significant thing, and if you go back and read Genesis 1 and then uh, go, go over to Genesis 2, you'll immediately notice day 7 sounds different than the first six days. And the most noticeable thing that is different is that on day 7, God doesn't say anything. He does not say, let there be rest. He says, let there be light, let there be sky and sea. He speaks on every other day, and in speaking, he creates stuff. He creates light, he creates water, he creates plants and animals, he creates humans, and he does so by speaking. On day seven, God doesn't say anything. And that's because you can't create rest by doing something. You create rest by not doing something. And so on day seven, God is not doing anything, and by not doing anything, he's actually doing something really, really powerful. And what he's doing with day seven is he's not emphasizing his activity or his speech. He's simply emphasizing who he is. What you have on day seven is simply God being God. And what that does is with day seven, what ends up prioritized, because day seven is the capstone of all creation. Day seven prioritizes for us being over doing. The first six days, lots of activity. Day seven, no activity. And this prioritizes who we are over what we do. It prioritizes our person over our activity. It prioritizes who we are versus what we accomplish. This is what makes day seven so powerful. God is accomplishing something and doing something, but he is accomplishing it simply in who he is. And what this does is it prioritizes being over doing. <clears throat> There's a second thing that's important to notice about day seven, seen in comparison with some of the other days, particularly day one and day six, the two other days that we've looked at in our sermon so far. On day one, God created light. <clears throat> Excuse me. The reason why he creates light first is light is the basis of life, but more than that, it's the essence of who he is. 
I said, imagine a farmer who's got millions and millions of acres where he's growing all sorts of amazing fruits and vegetables and imagine that he wants to share this land with other people that he's going to take 100 acres and sort of clear those out and give those uh, to a couple to be able to farm. But I said the very first thing he gives to that now barren land is the produce from his part. The very first thing that God gives to creation is light because God is light. So day one, God is light. Day six, the most stupendous thing that God does in creation is he creates us in his image. And I said in that sermon, that doesn't really have anything to do with our physical bodies because God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical body. Jesus has one now, but the Father and the Spirit do not have physical bodies because God is spirit. So to be created in the image of God means that we can exercise dominion because that's what God does. We can be in relationship because that's what God does. And we can have God's spirit dwell in us because God is spirit. That's day six. Now we get to day seven. And I told you on one of the previous days, there are only three times in the Bible where you ever get the sentence, God is, followed by a noun. We have lots and lots of sentences where you have God is, followed by an adjective. God is kind, God is compassionate, God is gracious, God God is uh, holy. These are adjectives, and we have lots and lots of them to describe God. But only three times in the Bible do you ever get a sentence, God is, followed by a noun, because there's only three nouns in language that are broad enough and sufficient enough to be used in that kind of construction that you can say, this thing, represents who God is in such a way that it's not simply describing God, but we can say God is this. The first one, 1 John chapter 1, God is light. That there's something about light, the concept of light, the word light, that so encapsulates who God is that we can say God is light, Well, that goes with day one. God creates light because God is light. The second God is statement is in John 3. God is spirit. God is spirit. This goes with day six. God creates us in his image and his spirit can live in us because God is spirit. And the third and most important, God is love. First John 4, God is love. There's something about the concept of love. There's something about the word love, that now, what it represents, that we would say God is love. And that goes with day seven. That in day seven, what God is doing is a manifestation of his love. 
We'll see that hopefully more as we unfold what day seven is all about. Okay, so on day seven, God creates rest. What does that mean? What is this rest? We know what light is, and we know what carrots are, and we know what dogs are, we know what humans are. When God creates rest, what is it that he's creating? Well, let me first tell you what it's not. This is not sleep. It is not, the rest that's mentioned here is not the antidote for tiredness. I know that because God doesn't sleep. And God is not resting on day seven because he's tired. It wasn't like God was like, wow, celery, that was really hard to create. I'm going to take a break for a while. Not the case. He doesn't break a sweat doing any of these things. We need rest. We need sleep. We get tired. But the rest that is being created in Genesis 2 on day 7 is not the antidote for tiredness. So what is the rest? Well, sometimes it's easier to artistically experience something than it is to define it. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to turn to a piece of poetry that I think helps us feel what the rest is before I try to define it for us. That piece of poetry is also known as a psalm. So I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 it's page 455 in the church Bibles. And this psalm doesn't give us sort of a dictionary definition of rest, but what it does is it artistically helps us feel it. So I'd like to read the psalm and kind of work us through it, and I'm going to ask, you can read along with me, you can sort of let it wash over you as you hear it, but we want to try to feel what rest is from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, do you feel the chaos of mountains quaking, mountains falling into the sea? We might call that unrest. Can you feel the rest that goes with God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble? That in contrast to all the chaos and the trouble of raging seas and mountains falling apart and earthquakes, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do again, do you hear the unrest of nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling? And do you hear in contrast the rest 
the Lord Almighty is with us. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Verse eight, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The ultimate statement of rest. Be still and know that I am God. The rest that we are talking about on day seven is not the antidote to tiredness. The rest that we are talking about is the contrast to unrest, to chaos, to turmoil, to trouble. If I were going to summarize it this way, I wrote it out for you. To rest is to be free from the unrest of stress, striving, chaos, and trouble. Ultimately, it is to trust in God's unfailing love. Why is there rest in Psalm 46? It's not because circumstances are going well. Nations are crumbling, kingdoms are falling apart, mountains are going into the sea. Why is Psalm 46 restful? Be still and know that I am God. God is love. God is with you. He will take care of you. He will watch over you. He will protect you. This is the rest that is created on day seven. Now you may be like, well, God doesn't need that kind of rest. Of course he doesn't. He doesn't need light either. He's light. He doesn't need carrots. He doesn't need dogs. He doesn't need humans. We do. God is creating stuff that we need. And so on day seven, he creates rest. Not by saying, let there be rest, but by being quiet, by being still, by being free from striving and working, God does the most amazing thing. He creates the possibility of rest. Not for him, but for us as a gift. Recently, my family and I got back from a trip uh, to Costa Rica. I was on a three-month resting sabbatical, and uh, as part of that, our family went to Costa Rica uh, to have some vacation. It was amazing, wonderful country, loved being sort of uh, all over Costa Rica. It was rainy season, and so that apparently means it rains a lot. Uh, so it rained a lot. But one of the coolest things we did is that in San Jose, the capital, uh, Lisa lined up a sights and bites tour, which meant that a local Costa Rican guide sort of took us around the central market and uh, gave us food and talked about culture and kind of used food and things there to explain Costa Rican culture. Uh, it was great. We obviously were trusting this man because he just sort of took us places like, here, eat this and try this. So at one point, he's like, here, drink this, but don't chew the thing in it, just swallow it. So that was a sea turtle egg and some spicy juice. 
Uh, that was great. I actually liked that one. Not everybody in my family loved it. Uh, one place where like, he was like, eat this. Ooh, that was sweet. Oh, no, it's not. That was a chocolate-covered coffee bean. Some people in our family loved that. I didn't like that one as much. But the coolest thing that we did is that uh, on the trip, or the Sights and Bites tour, we walked over to a fruit stand, fruit and vegetable stand, and the guy just sort of yells something in Spanish into the, into the room, but we're outside on the street, and then he walks out, and he takes a knife, and he just starts cutting up all sorts of stuff and handing it to us and eats stuff, which was great. One of the things he gave us to eat uh, is called, and I tried to get this pronunciation right, someone may know, Rambutan? Rambutan, thank you. So yeah, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I literally had never seen this before in my life. And so he takes, it's pretty cool looking, and he gives it to us and we eat it. And I was like, well, that's amazing. We also tried, and you might have to tell me with this one, I don't know how to pronounce this one either. Mamon? Mamon? I don't know. Somebody will know and they'll tell me afterwards and I'll be like, oh man, I should have known that. Okay, I don't know how you pronounce it. Which just begs, the, just makes the point this was really good. I'd never had that either. And while I'm eating these things, and they're literally, there was like four or five other things. I'm like, I've been on this planet for 49 years. I have never seen these. And it dawned on me, well, these have been here since the beginning of creation. God created these, but effectively I was a stranger to them because I had never seen them. I had never tasted them. I had never eaten them. And then I realized that in many ways, for a long period of my life, I had that same experience, but with rest. Rest is a part of God's creation. God created Rambutan. He also created rest. And that for me, for a long period of time, and maybe some of you too, you were strangers to rest. You had never really tasted rest. You had never really experienced rest. Now, I had experienced unrest, <laughs> but never really experienced rest. And all of a sudden to realize this has been part of creation from the very beginning. And the encouragement to you today is if you've never tasted rest, if you never had somebody take you and say, hey, look, this is how you experience rest. This is how you try this thing. I'm going to tell you, you're missing out on something that is absolutely a beautiful, wonderful gift from God. So how do you taste it? Well, I want to be your guide on the Sights and Bites tour, and I want to tell you how to experience rest. God gives it to us as a little gift packaged up for us to open once a week. And that gift is called Sabbath rest. Now, because Sabbath rest, there's so much stuff on the Bible, in the Bible about Sabbath rest. And because the New Testament and the Old Testament do talk about it slightly differently and the New Testament kind of changes some things. And because many of us have experienced legalistic and damaging versions of how Sabbath rest is supposed to work, what I'd like to do this morning is just walk through, very quickly, in four simple, straightforward steps, how you experience Sabbath rest. Try to summarize what the Bible says and encourage you. These are the four things to do to experience Sabbath rest. Number one, 
set aside time weekly. Step one, if you want to experience the rest that God created on day seven, step one, set aside time weekly. Now you might think, maybe from previous things you heard or just stuff in the culture or whatever, that Sabbath has to be either Saturday or Sunday. That is not true. The New Testament tells us, hey, look, this is kind of because of Jesus, some things are different. You can choose any time in the week as Sabbath rest. All you need to do is set aside some time. It can be Sundays, that's perfectly great. It can be Saturdays, fine. It can be an hour every day. You're like, hey, you know what? From eight to nine each morning, that's going to be Sabbath rest. It can be mixed together. You can do Sunday mornings and Thursday evenings. You can do whatever fits into your schedule. For Lisa and I, we've chosen Fridays from 8.30 to 3.30. Uh, that's the time in which we unwrap the present of Sabbath rest. Now, you're not legalistic about it. There's lots of emergencies that sometimes happen on Friday and all sorts of things. This is a gift from God, not a set of laws. It's a blessing. It's part of creation. And so but the first thing you do is pick some time. Pick some time that fits into your schedule and set that time aside. Number two, as part of the things of what are you going to do on that time, one of the things should be something associated with worship. God created rest so that we might experience who he is, not just what he does. And worship is a time to be with God. So if you pick Sunday mornings as part of your Sabbath experience for the week, great. This is what we do. We come together and we worship and we meet with God. For some, Sunday mornings, like me, are not that restful. So this is not the time that I pick for Sabbath rest. This doesn't feel very restful to me. You might be the same in volunteering or other things that you do. There's lots of people on Sunday morning who are doing really intense kinds of things. You might pick, okay, well, I'm going to do Fridays or I'm going to do 8 o'clock. Great. Include some worship element. You can play worship music. You can uh, do a prayer walk. You can read a psalm or scripture passage. But the second thing to do in order to really do this right is have some sort of worship piece. It doesn't have to be the whole time. It's not supposed to be the whole time. Um, but some sort of worship piece. Number three. Engage activities or stuff that you do that bring you joy. What you're looking for to do with that time is stuff that brings you peace or joy or things that cause you to just love life. If you like taking naps, take a nap. If you like gardening, garden. If you like mowing your lawn, mow your lawn. If you like having people over, be hospitable and invite people over. If you love to cook a meal, cook a meal. If you like to play sports, play sports. If you like to watch movies, watch movies. The goal of this time is to enjoy life. Now Lisa and I do our Sabbath together. And so we had to come up with some things that we both find to be restful and we both find to be free from sort of stress and trouble. We both like to go out to eat, so we tend to go out to eat uh, on a date on our Sabbath on Fridays. We both like to take hikes. We find that restful, so we take hikes during that time. We like to play pickleball, so sometimes we'll be out in the summer playing pickleball or doing something else like that. Uh, we both like to uh, watch movies, and so we'll sometimes do that during Sabbath rest. Whatever it is that's enjoyable. Now, only one of us actually likes going grocery shopping 
and making a meal at home and finds that restful, so we don't tend to do that as much. Only one of us finds clothes shopping restful, so we don't do that as much. Only one of us finds superhero movies to be restful, so we don't watch those as much. And only one of us finds talking about events coming in the future and planning for those to be restful, so we don't do that as much. Now, if you do it with another person, sometimes there are sacrifices. Uh, sometimes superhero movies do get watched on Sabbath rest, whatever it may be. If you're doing it with the family, sometimes you have to find a way to find joy in sacrificing for another person. But generally speaking, what you're looking for during this time is stuff that is fun. Stuff that gives life. Stuff that puts you at peace. Stuff that causes you to be calm. Stuff that lets you experience the blessing of being created by God. And then the fourth thing to do, as much as possible, disengage from distractions. Disengage from distractions. So if emails are distracting, we, then we try not to do emails. Uh, if the phone is distracting, it's a great time during Sabbath rest to put the phone on, do not disturb. If planning for the future is distracting, if homework is distracting, if stressing about things that are coming, if that stuff, if talking about finance is distracting, don't do those things. There is time to do those. Please, nobody who's a student, go home and tell your parents that Jim said you didn't have to do your homework. I'm not saying that. But you can tell them this. God is telling you that during Sabbath rest, that's not the time for homework. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe there is time that God wants us to take time away from all of those stressful things, all of those distractions, all of the stuff that causes us trouble so that we might experience the blessing of being alive. So that's how you do Sabbath rest. It is commanded and encouraged in the Bible, but let me say it this way. It's the crowning gift of God's creation. The stuff he creates is good. Light is wonderful. Stars are amazing. The sun is beautiful. Animals are wonderful. The crowning capstone thing that God does is he gives the gift of rest. I promise you, you will love Sabbath rest. And if you think, wait, wait, is this kind of just for Jewish people? Sabbath rest was created before there are Jews and Gentiles. If you're like, well, God just kind of does this because the world's all messed up. Sabbath rest is created before the fall. The only explanation for Sabbath rest is that it comes from the fact that God is love. It is loving. It is kind. It is an expression of his love to you. And I am so sorry for any experiences anybody might have had where this became a legalistic, wounding, harmful thing. It was not created to be that. And if you'll give it a try, if you set aside some time, if you engage with God in some way, if you enjoy life, if you try to shut off distractions, I promise you, you will experience the love of God and the gift of life. Now, I'm pushing rather hard for you to do this. Why? Well, one, I love you and I want you to experience it. And I spent a lot of years not knowing Sabbath rest existed. 
And when you finally discover it, you're like, has this been in creation the whole time? And the answer is yes. And I'm telling you, you're going to love it. But I'm also encouraging you to do it for a bigger reason. I just told you I had a three-month resting sabbatical. You probably noticed I wasn't here. I thought I was going on this sabbatical to sort of re-energize and get recharged for more ministry. Turns out that was not the case. And this sermon helped me to understand that. Because rest is not an antidote to tiredness. Rest is a contrast to stress and to trouble and to unrest. And the most valuable thing about my resting sabbatical was the Lord teaching me this is how you're supposed to live every day. Now, you don't just get to be off work for three months. But the point was, be still and know that I am God is not just for Sabbath. What Sabbath does is remind us every week that we're supposed to live in rest. That we're supposed to trust in God's unfailing love. That God is for us. And that what we do each week is be reminded, yeah, I still got to go back to work. Yeah, I still got school I got to do. Yeah, I still got stressful things. Life is full of trouble, but every week we are reminded, but you can rest in God. You can trust in his unfailing love. And the gift of Sabbath rest is that it is a weekly reminder that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That even though the mountains crumble and go into the sea, God is our refuge and our strength. God is an ever-present help in time of need. Be still and know that I am God is not just for day seven. It's the frosting and the icing on the whole cake. It's a capstone to say the rest of the days need to be lived in this way. Because even Jesus, who was without sin, lived resting in his Father. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You and I cannot live our lives in such a way that we don't need rest. It's designed into the fabric of creation. We are finite beings and anybody, and I know it from personal experience, anybody who is trying to skip rest is not going to make it. This is not a result of the fall. This is a gift from God. And our weekly rest is designed to remind us every day that we need to rest in the Lord. We can trust in his unfailing love. This is why day seven, God is love. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to count your sins against you. He's not going to forget about you. You can rest in him. Now there's one more thing that's noticeable if you compare uh, day seven with the six days that come before. On the six days that come before, they all end with the statement, there was evening and there was morning the first day or the second day. 
On day seven, you don't have that language. And that's because day seven is eternal. There is no end to resting in God. And that while this world is full of trouble, God gives us the gift of Sabbath rest along the way, but it is a picture of the fact that you and I are never going to get to the point where we don't need to rest in God. We're never going to get to the point of maturity and having it all together and being all organized because God designed it this way for the rest of eternity. We will need to rest in God. But here is the amazing thing. The reason there is no evening and no morning on the second seventh day is because God is love and he will never stop being love and that you and I forever and ever and ever will continue to experience the blessings of being loved by God and that it's not ultimately about all the stuff we do it's about who we are that he loves you for who you are. And when you stop doing stuff, the work, the stress, the trouble, you are reminded that forever and ever and ever, God is gonna continue to delight in you. He's gonna continue to love you. You see, the reason why Sabbath is the best picture according to Hebrews 3 and 4 of heaven is because heaven is not a lot of sitting around on clouds unless perhaps you find that to be restful and joyful. What heaven is is the enjoyment of life as it was meant to be lived. There's activity, there's doing, there's creation, there's music, there's art, there's all sorts of things because what we do when we are doing these things each week is we are engaging in the things that bring us life. And what heaven is, the reason it's why it's called the eternal Sabbath rest is for eternity. God's going to allow us to enjoy him and all that there is to do in the new heavens and the new earth. And the most important thing about Sabbath rest, it's a picture of how to live life now and how life will be lived for eternity. The reason why a lot of people don't look forward to heaven is because they don't have any heaven in their week. The reason why God gave us heaven in the week was so that we might know we were not created for all the trouble and stress and difficulty of the six days. That's a, that's a result of the stuff going on now. We were created to experience God, to know his love, and to enjoy it forever. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of rest. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.